You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD+, and that helps you make energy, it helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD+, even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD Plus risk-free for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD Plus. It's what I use. Hey, everyone. It's Dave Asprey with Bulletproof Radio. Today's cool fact of the day is that it's now possible for plants to be engineered with genes that are taken from bacteria, viruses, insects, animals, or even humans. Scientists have worked on some interesting combinations. Of course, we're talking genetically modified, but cow genes that turned pigskins into cow hides. I have no idea what kind of football you play with that, but it's got to be confusing for the players. Uh, jellyfish genes that light up pigs' noses in the dark. I also have no idea what that does to your bacon. And they actually inserted human genes into corn to produce spermicide which, I mean, you could just use Coke for that. Why would you need to do that to corn? I'm, I'm just saying here. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Today's guest on Bulletproof Radio is Jeffrey Smith, the founding director of the Institute for Responsible Technology. I know Jeffrey personally. He's lectured in 40 countries. He's been in the New York Times, the Washington Post, BBC, the Independent, Daily Telegraph, New Scientist and every other thing you've probably heard of that's a magazine like Time. 
as well as on Dr. Oz, NPR, Fox News, Democracy Now! In other words, this guy is the poster child for genetically modified food and what it's doing to our world. He created a feature-length documentary called Genetic Roulette, The Gamble of Our Lives, and won the 2012 Movie of the Year for it. And he's also written, and we've talked to him earlier, about seeds of deception, exposing industry and government lies about the safety of the genetically engineered foods you're eating. So, wow, that was everything I could think of, and then some, Jeffrey. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Dave. I wanted to just jump in. There's some people... I would say a vocal minority online who just loved you. Every time you say, well, GMOs present some unsafe uh, uh, potential for humanity and for the genie we can't put back in the bottle, it, people jump out on Facebook and say, there's no scientific evidence that GMOs are bad. So, so first of all, what is a GMO, the way you're talking about GMOs? And, and uh, is there some kind of a safe thing like that? But just help explain what is genetic modification for people who are listening and probably don't know some of the science you do. All right, I'm happy to address the those that believe that it's completely safe and explain to them why they've had that engineered public relations position. Uh, but for those who don't understand what GMOs are in the first place, you take a gene from one species, as you described, and you insert it or forcibly insert it into a DNA of another species. So, for example, let's say you want to create a corn plant engineered to produce its own toxic insecticide. Uh, you might take Bt which is Bacillus thuringiensis bacteria, which produces a toxin called Bt toxin that's known to break open the stomachs of insects to kill them. Then you take the gene that produces the toxin out of the bacterium, make millions of copies, put it into a gun, shoot the gun into a plate of millions of corn cells, clone those cells into plants, and voila, now every single cell of every single corn plant that you just genetically engineered has a gene-sized spray bottle producing a toxin that breaks open the stomach of insects to kill them. So now you've mixed and matched between kingdoms, and you've not just inserted the gene, but you've also created massive collateral damage in the DNA of the corn plant. Two to four percent of that DNA is different at the end of that exercise. You have hundreds or thousands of mutations up and down the DNA, and in Monsanto's most popular pesticide-producing BT corn, for example, a normally silent gene was switched on, which produces now an allergen called gamazine. There are soybeans, which are engineered not to die when sprayed with herbicides. That actually now has seven times the amount of a known soy allergen, according to their own study. Again, this is the background noise as a result of this primitive gene insertion technology. So we know right off the bat, no matter what gene you put in, whether it's to produce an insecticide or withstand an herbicide, the process itself creates massive collateral damage, unpredicted side effects, and that's because of the primitive state of our understanding and the technology itself. Uh, that is hard to argue with. And it's really interesting because what we're talking about is unforeseen changes to genetics. And one of the things that genetically modified organisms have done is they have changed our soil because we now use so much herbicide on them that we've changed the fungus in the soil and the fungus itself is more toxic. And I've been really digging in and I've even filmed a documentary about that. So it, it's amazing what happens when you use these primitive things that cause essentially massive unplanned mutants 
in corn or soy or whatever it is you're you're modifying and then because you've modified those now you spray more toxins that themselves cause more mutation in the soil so we've got one one type of mutation stacked on top of another kind of mutation and it's it's actually kind of scary because this is way way more than natural selection would ever allow for right Oh yeah, it's completely, as George Wald, Nobel laureate, a biology professor from Harvard years ago said, we should not mistake genetic engineering for just natural breeding. We're in, overnight, we're creating new combinations of proteins that never existed in nature. In other words, we're bypassing the billions of years of evolution and doing it out of the minds of the scientists, God forbid, but it's true. And we end up, we're ending up in a situation, just as you said, where these, un, not only do we have unpredicted side effects in the gene technology, but in the application of the technology, like the dousing of herbicides, they originally told us, they meaning often Monsanto, the largest GMO producer, don't worry guys, this will reduce the amount of herbicides we're gonna use. Well, they knew it was gonna increase. They actually were in creating factories, new factories as they were saying it. And lo and behold, in the first 16 years, the herbicide tolerant crops, which is the main reason they genetically engineer, 80% of the crops out there are engineered not to die when sprayed with a weed killer that would normally kill them, it increased the amount of weed killer by 527 million pounds over 16 years. And the what happens is the weeds outsmart Monsanto and they become resistant to Roundup and then they, the farmers spray more Roundup. And what happens in the soil is absolutely fascinating and demonic perhaps, you know, it's just terrible. And, but what happens in the body, I think is interesting to most people because it turns out we eat a lot of Roundup in our diet, and that's not a good thing. Last night, I watched Wolverine, one of the latest X-Men movies. And, mm -hmm. of course, I'd be a fan of anyone whose skeleton is indestructible and can heal from anything because, I mean, that's kind of literally bulletproof, right? And, and one of the premises in that whole X-Men thing it, is that something happened that caused rapid mutation. And you see all these crazy you know, cartoon superpower kind of things. But we've actually done that in our crops. I mean, if you cause 4% of the genes in corn to do random stuff with things from other species, we've identified you know, just additional allergens in some corn and some soy, but is there other stuff going on where we just don't even have any clue what the effects are? Oh, of course. Um, in corn, there's higher levels of lignin as one of these background results. The metabolic pathway that produces lignin produces rotenone, a plant pesticide that's linked to Parkinson's disease. So eating genetically modified corn might increase your risk of Parkinson's disease, but no one knows since the research has not been done. You know, when they did genetic engineering on humans, gene therapy, they inserted genetic material, which accidentally switched on an oncogene causing leukemia. Same kind of thing could happen in crops, but they don't even look in the crops. In, in human gene therapy, they studied very carefully. They shut down all the therapies when they found out that they had created leukemia in these boys. With plant genetic engineering, they don't even look to see where the gene ends up and if it happens to be switching on a gene downstream, which can, might cause a toxin, an allergen, or a carcinogen, or an anti-nutrient. Uh, it does increase the amount of anti-nutrients in soy. There's a soy lectin, which was practically doubled according to Monsanto's own research and then suppressed and then discovered. So yes, I mean, people talk about golden rice. Let's put vitamin A or beta carotene into the crop. Well, you might increase the vitamin A and at the same time cause dramatic damage because of the 
this uh, side effect issue. Now, in addition, when you change the balance of active ingredients like a vitamin A, you have all sorts of things that can happen. Retinoic acid is linked to many diseases, and that is also part of the metabolic pathway that's rela linked to the beta carotene. So as, as David Schubert of the Salk Institute points out, these manipulations of trying to fortify crops can even be more dangerous than the herbicide tolerance in the pesticide production. Now, that's the background noise of GMOs. If we drill down into what's happening, and by the way, the FDA scientists warned repeatedly that genetic technology on food was dangerous. They said it could create allergens, toxins, new diseases, and nutritional problems. But guess what? The FDA denied the existence of those concerns, even though it was the consensus of their own scientists, which we found out through uh, documents made public from a lawsuit. They instead, in their policy, claimed falsely, oh, the agency's not aware of any information showing that GMOs are significantly different. Therefore, no testing is necessary. No labeling is necessary. They ignored their own scientists. But, but Jeff, it, it, it's okay to lie to Congress as long as it's for a profit. I mean, the, well, the, yeah. this, is, this is the U.S. that so we need to... That's, that's the yeah. tech. In fact, for-profit is the word here because the person in charge of that policy at the FDA was Michael Taylor, Monsanto's former attorney, later Monsanto's vice president, now back at the FDA as the U.S. food czar. So, wow. yeah, there, there was Did, a nice nice nexus there. Does he get attorney-client privilege for everything he does because he was Monsanto? <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't say anything. I was their attorney. Well, that's kind of convenient. <laughs> hmm. Very convenient. Very convenient. So I recognize that there is great risk in genetically modifying these organisms causing mutation because once they start sharing their pollen, which is a known thing, you cannot dispute that at this point, you have cross-contamination, you have insect damage, and you can't stop it. So, so it seems like you know this genie is already out and it's not going to get put back in. So granted, we might want to stop doing this, but haven't we created kind of a problem that isn't going to go away for many generations? Well, many is is tactful um, and uh, wishful thinking. Um, the genes already released into the gene pool self-replicate and will last as long as the gene pool of that species exists. Scientific future where you can put on the goggles and shoot it with a ray gun and figure out how to how to kill out those specific genes or products. So the, it will outlast the effects of global warming, outlast nuclear waste. The only thing that lasts longer than self-propagating genetic pollution is extinction. And this is one of the reasons why we should be in a hurry to delay the deployment of gene technology, because if we make a mistake, it lives with all future generations and all living beings, not just human are beings. Are you kidding? Do you know what a branding opportunity this is? If Monsanto could genetically engineer their logo into our food, There's, their logo would self-replicate beyond when humans are even still here. Like, that's, that's like a that's brilliant brand idea. survival. They should right totally hire you, yeah. Dave, for being their logo, their marketing man. <laughs> so I, I don't think we no, should. I, I, have, I have to say something. This is a true story about that. Huh? Uh, I sat next to the chief marketing officer from Monsanto at a neuromarketing conference. This is a conference at Stanford University about neurology, using EEG machines to measure what people do. And I was kind of disturbed that people trying to convince us that we should do these bad things to the plants on our planet uh, were investigating that. He seemed like actually a nice guy. I mean, personally, he wasn't an evil man that I could sense. He just didn't know the harm he was doing. So. Right. I don't think we've scared your listeners enough yet. And I, even though I'm not, I don't attempt and intend to scare people or let's say raise levels of alarm about health, 
when you look into the actual peer-reviewed published studies, it's very serious. Uh, would you like to go on a little journey with me, which I call death, disease, destruction, and despair, but we're going to come out the other side with actually how to avoid GMOs and actually how to kick them out, which is a plan that's actually already well underway. So as, as my as my five-year-old would say, so, so the good guys win in the end, and, and maybe there's a unicorn? All right, let's do this story. All right, okay, okay. So when the, when the American Academy of Environmental Medicine evaluated the animal feeding studies, the peer-reviewed published studies on GMOs, they found that the animals that were fed GMOs compared to the controls suffered from gastrointestinal problems. They suffered from infertility and reproductive disorders. They suffered from all sorts of immune system reactions, damaged organs, and they named the organs, as well as dysfunctional regulation of cholesterol and insulin, and accelerated aging. Wow. They said, based on the traditional scientific criteria, this is not a situation of uh, casual relationship. This is a causal relationship. These pose serious harm. Every physician should prescribe non-GMO diets to every patient. Now, this is an organization that looks for new diseases and new causes. They were the first to identify Gulf War syndrome, food allergies, chemical sensitivity, more than a dozen others. So they were in a good position as the Sherlock Holmeses of cause and effect on the mass population for disease and, and disorders. So now there are thousands of physicians prescribing non-GMO diets, and I've interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people, sometimes from the stage with hands raised and people telling me the symptoms that got better when they removed GMOs. And lo and behold, the same categories of symptoms that were afflicting the lab animals, gastrointestinal being primary, immune system soon after, are being described as getting better in the humans that avoid eating GMOs. And the, the anecdotal evidence is shocking. Now, when humans get rid of GMOs because they're not labeled, they have to do some kind of strategy, buy organic, switch to whole food, more or less processed foods. And so that introduces potential cofactors to explain the improvements. But then on the farm, when they take cows and pigs and they substitute GM corn or soy with non-GM so soy or corn, the same improvements occur as described by the humans, as described by the uh, peer-reviewed published studies and reflected on by the American Academy. Now, it turns out that those same categories of diseases and disorders are on the rise in the U.S. population, parallel to the increase in GMOs in the food supply, as well as Roundup herbicide, which is the primary herbicide used on the crops. And if you look at the specific characteristics of GMOs, in particular the two main toxins, Roundup for the herbicide-tolerant crops and the Bt toxin, they predispose us specifically to these type of diseases and disorders. Let's take a look at both of them, shall we? The Bt toxin and the Roundup to see what could possibly go wrong with eating an insecticide that breaks open the stomach of insects to kill them. Well, we were told, sworn up and down, don't worry, Bt toxin is insect specific. We're not insects, we're safe. Well, it was discovered that in fact, humans do react to Bt toxin. They get allergic or immune system reactions and cells, human cells, do end up with little holes and with leakage. So now we're eating a toxin in corn supply, which is because of Bt corn, that's where we get the access to the Bt toxin, could be creating immune system responses as well as poking holes along the digestive tract. That might explain some of the immune responses that we just talked about, as well as gastrointestinal. But as you know, if you're poking holes in the one cell thick walls of the intestines, you might be creating 
leaky gut, permeable gut. Now, what happens with that is this. The undigested food proteins that normally get broken down into little bits, itsy bitsy pieces break into the in, prematurely into the blood supply. The immune system then attacks it as an invader. All of the immune components, they have, they have iPhones. So they pull out their iPhones and they take a picture of these undigested food proteins and post it on the Facebook for the body. And, and this and is say, a, the iPhone 6 Max screen they have. These are really, really strong. Okay, got it. Well, actually, they're a bit fuzzy because <laughs> when the other, they're not that good because the other immune, immune uh, components look at it and there's something called molecular mimicry and says, wait a minute, that, I can't fully recognize it. But it really looks like that, which is the thyroid. It really looks like that, which is the microvilli of the, of the intestines. Or it looks like that, which is the pancreas. And that's autoimmune disease. So one of the most tightly correlated physiological effects related to autoimmune disease is leaky gut. In addition, leaky gut is linked to cancer, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, autism, food allergies, inflammation, and other stuff. Yes. So... So that list is among the things that are on the rise in the U.S. population in parallel to the consumption of GMOs, and it gets a little worse with BT toxin. We're going to go on to herbicides in just a minute, but I've got to land this blow. The BT toxin was found in the blood of 93% of the pregnant women tested in Canada, where you live, and it was found in 80% of the unborn fetuses in the corn blood, cord blood. Now, with mice that were, mice blood cells which were exposed to BT toxin, the toxin was cytotoxic, damaging the red blood cells. So now we have BT toxin circulating in our blood, possibly because it goes to the holes it created in the cell walls of the intestines, and it might cause damage to the red blood cells if it gets in the fetus. There's no blood-brain barrier yet developed, so it might end up in the brain. So you have hole-poking toxins in the brain of the next generation. Now, the BT toxin should wash out pretty quickly from the blood, according to scientists that I've interviewed. And it doesn't wash out quickly, or for, if it does wash out quickly, there must be some kind of constant regeneration of that toxin if 9 out of 10 Canadian women uh, pregnant women had it in their blood. It wasn't Mexico where they eat corn tortillas every day, and most of the corn that we eat, you know, in North America, in the U.S. and Canada, are high fructose corn syrup. There's no BT toxin left in that processed food. So the authors of the study speculated that the source of BT toxin was probably the milk and meat of animals that are fed the BT corn on a regular basis, that they stored up the toxin, and that it was in the food. So, so this is one more reason you might want to have grass-fed butter in your coffee instead you of corn-fed, genetically modified BT toxin industrial butter? Yes, we do interrupt this discussion for a commercial for grass-fed butter and grass-fed dairy. But there's more. Yes. <laughs> there's another potential explanation that these scientists failed to postulate in their published peer-reviewed study. In 2004... They found, they, they wanted to see if genes could possibly transfer into the DNA of gut bacteria, which was a big concern. The FDA was very concerned about the antibiotic-resistant marker gene leaving the GMO crops and becoming antibiotic-resistant diseases. So they first, they were, the FDA was said, don't worry, genes are destroyed during digestion. There's no chance that they can transfer because they're going to be broken down. So they took seven human volunteers with elostomy bags. They had uh, elostomy bags. They had their lower intestines removed, not for the study. Um, and <laughs> although, you know, 
With Monsanto, you never know. Anything for uh, science, right? <laughs> exactly. So they gave them soy burger and a soy milkshake from genetically modified soy and were shocked to find how much genetically modified DNA survived passage through the stomach and small intestine. And in three of these seven British volunteers where they don't eat a lot of GMOs, this was in 1999 when they did the study, published in 2004, they found that inside the DNA of three of these people inside the DNA of the gut bacteria was part of the gene that would have been inserted into soybeans to make it round up ready. So they inserted bacterial genes into soybeans to make them withstand doses of Roundup. And now the gut bacteria contained part of those genes and that gut bacteria was not killable with Roundup, suggesting, but not proving, that once it transferred, it continued to function. So, so wouldn't having Roundup-resistant gut bacteria be a good thing if you're going to be eating modern crops? It could be because there's a lot of Roundup in our food, but it, it would give a selective advantage to the transformed bacteria, which would over-colonize, but you don't know which of the bacteria are, are competent to pick up the gene, and so you don't know what you're doing to that gut bacteria, and... Um, also, the, the Roundup Ready, this is a fun question you asked, you didn't know I was going to answer the question. Uh, the, the Roundup Ready protein has properties of a dust mite allergen. It fails the World Health Organization's criteria designed to prevent allergic proteins from being introduced to genetically modified crops. So those who are allergic to dust might end up being constantly triggered. But getting back to our BT toxin, once the pro-GMO UK government that was funding this gene transfer study discovered the genes actually transferred and survived digestion, they pulled the funding of the study, so we never looked at BT toxin. Now, drum roll, please, or actually, the, we need the, the, the big drums hitting. Okay, what happens if you eat corn chips from corn engineered to produce BT toxin, and the genes from those corn chips transfers to the DNA of your gut bacteria and converts it into living pesticide factors? That may be why 93% of the pregnant women tested in Canada had BT toxin in their blood because they were producing it in their gut. Wow. This seems like something that might have risk. And yeah, that, that's the point. <laughs> unforeseen risk. So to, to the listeners, and, and there are fewer and fewer of them, honestly, um, who, who genuinely believe that the motivation for GMOs was drought resistance or increasing vitamin levels. Whether that was the initial motivation or not, and I would argue not, given that they started building lots of pesticide plants as they started introducing these things, but whatever the motivation was, it failed. And it is now creating something that will affect us for a long time, and it's not something that's likely to kill you right now. What it'll do is it'll suck the life out of you slowly as your gut slowly poisons yourself if that risk happens, but maybe it's a different risk. Maybe it just kills our bees so we can't pollinate our things. Bottom line is it hasn't been tested. We have no idea and we can't undo it. From many levels, this seems as big of a disaster as say releasing massive amounts of radiation into our oceans like Fukushima, but even that has a half-life because it doesn't self-replicate and right. the things that we're creating do self-replicate. And frankly, I, I'm not living in a state of fear about this, but I choose to not spend any money or to support any type of genetically modified stuff. Except, didn't we genetically modify aspergillus so we can use it to make things like citric acid and other relatively harmless industrial chemicals and we've been doing that for a long time without harm? Well, we genetically engineer 
the enzymes or the production of productions for the enzymes for uh, food. We've genetically engineered the humulin, which is the insulin um, derived from human genes. Genetically engineered bovine growth hormone. We've turned. Uh, we've used genetic engineering to create substances in factory settings, in laboratory settings, and that's a different equation. Why? Um, and I mean, don't uh, those bacteria and those fungi no. get out? <laughs> well, here's the thing. It, it, it can, in which case it is the same equation. We, our, our institute is against the use of GMOs for food and for outdoor release. But we're not against the use of, say, drug manufacturing when it's done in a contained manner because the equation is different. The risk yeah. is not to the whole population. However, L-tryptophan, a genetically engineered, a genetically engineered version of L-tryptophan in the 1980s killed about 100 Americans, causing five to 10,000 to fall sick and become permanently disabled. And it was probably almost certainly the genetic engineering of that L-tryptophan that caused the contaminants, that caused the deadly epidemic. And it was there was a cover-up, which I describe in my book, Seeds of Deception. Even They even lied to Congress. I mean, the FDA even lied to Congress to cover it was, that. Link. It was for a profit. It was okay. Just... Yeah. Well, actually, they got rid of tryptophan because, it, in, in part, according to the theory and an internal memo that was released because it was interfering with drug sales. I think Prozac was introduced right afterwards and didn't have the pesky L-tryptophan. And they even said, we need to create an environment where we eliminate the competitors to these drugs. And, and they had tried to remove L-tryptophan twice before. And when it turned out that this one brand only of L-tryptophan caused this epidemic, they got rid of all L-tryptophan, claiming that it was all L-tryptophan that caused the problem, even though it was only showing up for the one particular genetically engineered strain that had caused the issue, and the other scientists were looking at it, saying, "Wait a minute! If it were genetic, if it were generic, all L-tryptophan would have caused the problem, but it didn't stop the political decision to get rid of it." There's another problem with these genetically modified microorganisms. A lot of the digestive enzymes that people take today, including vegan ones, can come from Aspergillus which is a fungi that is genetically modified. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. But what I've found is that when people take fungal-derived digestive enzymes, they don't do nearly as well as when they take ones that are derived from other types of fermentation or better yet, from animals. Because you don't always get a clean result. You get the other stuff that's manufactured. You've got strange mutations going on. And in a highly stressed reactor or bioreactor style environment, you get drift of the cultures. So it, it's kind of an, an unknown thing out there, but you can be doing all these things for your health, but you can be taking basically uh, something that's made from a, a toxic fungi and it's supposed to be non-toxic for you, but it still has some of the other toxins in it. So it, I think it's a very complex problem and it's one that people just haven't really thought about because we've sort of given that kind of genetic modification a pass. And I agree with you, the risk reward is very different there, but I'm still concerned that you know, someone gets whatever drug producing strain of bacteria on their shoes and walks out and that enters the sewage system. And you know, we can have Prozac producing sewage sludge factories and, and that could be messy too, right? No, I, I agree. And I think that you know, when I talk about keeping it in a laboratory, I'm keeping it in a high secure yeah. laboratory as if it were dealing with disease microbes and and putting in the food supply we're against that you know very specifically we're not we're not we don't comment on the drugs even though we know the l-tryptophan situation we do believe that they need to increase the respect for what can go wrong and the current respect is so low that it's dangerous just as in the case we described now i need to just talk about herbicide the roundup because 
I know a lot of people listening to this are really into the science and biochemistry of stuff. And I'm going to do it in such a way that it's easy to understand for those that don't want to get into the biochemistry. But Roundup has been been we've been sold a, a bunch of goods on Roundup being supposedly safe and non-toxic. There are scientists who study it in detail and describe it as the most chronically toxic chemical on the planet. And it's a unique molecule, this glyphosate, active ingredient. It binds with cations. It binds with all the trace minerals. Now, trace minerals are like the keys in the engine that allow metabolic pathways to happen. So the glyphosate interferes with 271 enzymatic pathways, shutting some down altogether. Now, I'm going to give you examples of what it does because it is such a broad-spectrum chelator. It binding with all of these cations. It was originally patented in 64 as a chelator to as a descaler, a chemical cleaner. The way that it kills plants is interesting. Uh, if you put glyphosate on a, on a plant in sterile soil, you will stunt it. It will not die. If you put it in field soil, it will die. Now, why is that? Glyphosate binds with the important trace minerals and other minerals causing the plant to become weak and sick. It eliminates the ability of the plant to defend against disease. Then it kills the, the beneficial organisms in the soil whose job it is to do two things. One, to convert certain uh, nutrients so that they're assimilable by the plant. That gets taken out of the equation, or some of them. And also the beneficial microorganisms that keep the fungus or the fungal-based pathogens in check. The glyphosate also directly promotes and stimulates the growth of soil-borne pathogens. It's that increased soil-borne pathogens that do the killing of the weak and sick plant. So it becomes a perfect storm. You mentioned that it promotes fungus. Yes, it promotes the growth of fungal-based pathogens throughout the United States. More than 40 plant diseases are on the rise because of the overuse of glyphosate, and you end up creating plants that are very, very weak and sick. Now, the GMOs are also weak and sick because the minerals are chelated and they don't circulate and a lot of metabolic pathways don't function. Now you have animals that are fed their primary diet is Roundup Ready crops, soy, corn, cotton, canola, sugar beets, alfalfa. They end up eating weak and sick, mineral deficient plants. Then they end up eating residues of Roundup in high concentrations, which binds with their trace minerals, making it even worse. And you have a huge problem with animal health right now. And the, the uh, veterinar veterinarians that know about this send the organs of deceased animals for testing, and they do not have any detectable manganese or low levels of manganese, which is one of the primary minerals that are deprived. Cobalt, which is important for, for vitamin B12, and that deficiency is huge. So you end up with weak and sick animals, weak and sick plants, and then we eat the animals, and we eat the plants, and we eat the residues of the Roundup, and then we become weak and sick, but it doesn't stop there. Because it is a a, a um, chelator, it also is an antibiotic. Most of the antibiotics are, in fact, chelators and mostly herbicides are chelators and it kills selectively the beneficial gut bacteria the stuff we pay for the lactobacillus the bifidus etc but not the e coli salmonella botulism and the negative stuff so that can create an overgrowth of negative gut bacteria in the gut that dysbiosis can create harsh gases which can damage the walls of the intestines the walls of the intestines then don't 
don't produce enough CCK, which tells the pancreas to produce more enzymes. So you have a suppression of digestive enzymes. You have more undigested food proteins that can get through the walls that are created by the Bt toxin. But the gut bacteria also create zonulin, which creates gaps in, the, in between the cells of the walls in the intestines, the traditional form of leaky gut. And so now you have gastrointestinal disorders and Roundup also damages the microvilli. It also suppresses digestive enzymes. It's also an endocrine disruptor at very, very low levels. It's also linked to birth defects. And if you look at it, also blocks another metabolic pathway. This is really interesting. The shikimate pathway in the gut bacteria, which produces L-tryptophan, which is a precursor to serotonin. And so if you don't have enough tryptophan, you don't have enough serotonin, your mood and behavior are affected. You can talk about tryptophan and serotonin better than I. It also regulates insulin. It also tells the body I'm full and, I'm, and I don't have to eat anymore, so it can affect potentially diabetes and obesity and mood and behavior. The tryptophan also links to melatonin, which is sleep, so you can have sleeplessness, sleeplessness et cetera. And and Roundup, just to get through the whole litany before we draw the conclusion, Roundup also interferes with the P450 cytochrome pathway, which, as you know, is, creates the CYP enzymes, which, as you know, are linked to detoxification of the liver. And so if you've impaired the CYP enzymes, all the other toxins you're exposed to can, can become amplified. If you look at all of those biochemical changes, which I just described, here's the summary for those that just zoned out, Okay. Two scientists looked at them and said, these changes are related to, from glyphosate, from Roundup, heart disease, cancer, obesity, diabetes, infertility and reproductive disorders, uh, re digestive disorders, multiple sclerosis, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, autism, aggression, depression, anorexia, multiple sclerosis, kidney failure, and gluten sensitivity. I rest my case. <laughs> Well, I mean, since it doesn't have any effect on toenail fungus that we know of, it's probably still safe. So we should sell it, right? That, that's what I'm drinking. I, I mean, that's your roundup. Yeah. And anything for a profit, right? I mean, it, it's it's disturbing the amount of roundup that's sprayed with or without genetically modified organisms. But when you look at the fact that the existence of GMO has directly allowed the wholesale destruction of our soil biome by this chemical and if it's having secondary effects on people's health it, it's it's scary and it's it's unprecedented throughout human history given what i know about epigenetics i did sort of write a book on that uh, this is something that will affect our grandkids and because we put it in our soil it'll affect generations 50 generations from now uh, assuming they're still here not some generation on a little spaceship somewhere but unless we're going to go down the sci-fi route we're going to live with this for a long time and it's not going to be as uh, as nice as it could have been what can people do now to uh maybe get things going i know lots of the world is not quite as gung-ho on GMOs as the U.S. is. The problem is when we do it here, it sort of ends up everywhere anyway. So it doesn't matter if they like it, they're getting it. All right. So there's, um, we have a website called uh, non-gmoshoppingguide.com. Our main website is responsibletechnology.org, which tells people why to avoid GMOs in a lot of details. A lot of peer-reviewed published studies are cited in the words there. It works there. But then how to avoid GMOs is non-gmoshoppingguide.com. And we list over 30,000 products that are verified non-GMO by the non-GMO project. We also give the four primary tips. One, buy organic. 
It's not allowed to intentionally use GMOs, although contamination can happen. Two, buy products that say non-GMO on their package. The non-GMO project is the best. Three, buy products listed in the shopping guide. And four, if it doesn't have one of those organic or non-GMO labels, you can avoid the nine genetically modified food crops or their derivatives or the animals that have been eating them. So the nine crops are soy, corn, and just there you end up hitting all the processed foods, not all of them, but a lot of them, because they're derivatives like maltodextrin and dextrose and whatnot. They're listed in that shopping guide. You have cottonseed oil, canola oil, sugar from sugar beets, not the cane sugar and not beet table beets, but sugar beet sugar, alfalfa, which is used as hay for animals, and then zucchini, yellow squash, not all of it, some of it, and papaya from China or Hawaii. Mercifully, popcorn is not yet genetically engineered and doesn't cross-pollinate. So those are the nine food crops. You also have aspartame, which comes from genetically modified organisms. Friends don't let friends take aspartame. Just go to Google, uh, just yeah. Google aspartame and symptoms, and you'll camp out for a few hours. It's and on the kryptonite. It's the kryptonite yeah. food on the bulletproof. Totally freaky out. I mean, like it was put on the market because the CEO was Donald Rumsfeld, and he had. And truly, it was Donald Rumsfeld. <laughs> he used all of his political capital in the Reagan administration to get it approved over the objection of the FDA, which actually declared G.D. Searle violating the law and fraud, fraudulently getting the information to the FDA after allowing, you know, pulling the tumors out of the animals before they did the research. So um, those are all listed there. And then you have the milk and meat and eggs from animals that are fed GMOs. Uh, no, not a single research study was done, uh, of course, published on those things. Um, but there's evidence suggesting that there's problems with that, um, both anecdotal and logical, scientific, and discovery of DNA, for example, in the milk from the feed. So all that's laid out there. So that's the first thing that people can do is to avoid GMOs. And if people haven't yet decided to avoid GMOs, then or they want to convince others to avoid GMOs, the tool that we have found to be most effective at convincing people, which lays out these risks that we just talked about and many more is the movie Genetic Roulette, The Gamble of Our Lives, available at geneticrouletemovie.com. Full disclosure, I'm the director. I gave the rights to the Institute for Responsible Technology, and it is, in fact, we do pre- and post-test studies, and people, they completely change their diet, often, usually, when they see this movie. Now, that's to avoid GMOs on your own, but you are, your question was, what can we do about this? And that's a bigger question. Now, I'm going to answer what I think is the best strategy. And I've been in this for a couple of decades, and I've traveled around the world, as you mentioned, for 40 countries. And there's a bunch of those countries that I would say are hugely successful at minimizing GMO exposure in the population, and those countries are Europe, the European Union. How did Europe kick out GMOs? It was not the law, it was not the European Commission, it was Unilever on April 27th, 1999, Nestle's the next day, and then everyone else the next week or two. They kicked it out because there, were, there was a lot of coverage on the health dangers of GMOs in the news. And they ended up causing enough consumers to be concerned about eating GMOs that the food companies realized I can't continue to use GMOs and protect my sales and market share. Therefore, to protect my profit, I'm going to eliminate GMOs from where? Europe, not the United States, 
because the coverage wasn't actually there was a lifting of a gag order of a scientist on February 16th, 1999, 10 weeks later, because over 700 articles were written in the UK press alone within a month. It was a huge scandal, not covered in the US. Project Censor described it as one of the 10 most underreported events of the year here. So now, tipping point. Can we have a tipping point in the United States? Yes, we know from bovine growth hormone, kicked out of Walmart, Starbucks, Yoplait, Dan, and most American dairies. We had a tipping point against GMOs in the natural products industry in 2013. That was, that was helped along by Whole Foods announcing in March of 2013 that when a product becomes third-party verified by the non-GMO project, it increases sales by 15 to 30%. Thousands of products enrolled in the non-GMO project in the next couple of months, backlog of a year. So now we have test cases of grape nuts and Cheerios, and I can't believe it's not butter and Smart Balance and Ben and & Jerry's, all declaring non-GMO in the Walmart space, in the Safeway space, outside the natural products industry, because the industry that, that industry is tipped. Now, 40% of Americans say they're avoiding or reducing GMOs, so they're sensitive to the situation. Not 40% of Americans are actually doing it. They say they're doing it. But they're sensitive to the situation, and most of them shop in traditional supermarkets. So if they're walking down the aisle and they see grape nuts, front of the package, full color, non-GMO project verified, and they start to buy that more by even a little percentage, and, this, and the market share goes up, every other food company realizes, uh-oh, this trend is not firewalled behind the walls of Whole Foods. It's now in Walmart. It's in Safeway. It's etc. We have to remove GMOs. So to answer an interesting question, in a thousand years or a hundred years, and they look back at this time and figured, what saved the genetic integrity of all living beings and all future generations? Because the biotech industry is, in fact, intending to genetically engineer 100% of the food supply and the trees and the insects and the fungus. This is not making this up. These are stated goals by insiders announced on the podium, 1999, three weeks before the gag order was lifted by the scientists. The uh, Monsanto's consultant said, the goal that they created was 100% whole commercial seed genetically engineered within 15 to 20 years, and another company estimated it will only take five years to do 95% of the commercial seeds, and that entire fast-track replacement of nature was derailed three weeks later when a gag order was lifted on a scientist and, the, and it was covered in the press. So we have a plan to create a tipping point. We're actually have moved the needle from 15% of Americans saying they're avoiding or reducing GMOs in 2007 to 40% now by focusing now on the Walmart shopper, but not the generic one that hasn't yet related food to health, but the mom, the pet owner, the sick person, the healthcare professional, the people, and the religious person that thinks GMO means God move over. These are the five demographic groups. And so we have a five-year plan to eliminate GMOs from food and then animal feed, and we're now raising money for that. So for those that would like to support in this endeavor to save all living beings and all future generations, not a bad resume builder, I would suggest going to responsibletechnology.org and making a very profound donation that's regular so we can get that we know exactly what to say, who to say it to, how to say it. We just need production costs and, and staff time covered to finish this accelerating non-GMO movement that we've helped create. So that's my answer to your question. If you've been fortunate uh, in your life and you're in a position to make a, a small donation to support uh, Jeffrey's mission here, um, it, it's in your best interests. Uh, if you have family, especially little ones, 
is doubly in your interest. So if you are in a position to be able to listen to a podcast on your drive into work, this is probably the sort of thing that's that's worth paying attention to. Jeff, what's the URL people should go to if they'd like to support your work to directly pull the stuff out of our food? Thank you. ResponsibleTechnology.org. It's for the Institute for Responsible Technology, ResponsibleTechnology.org. You can also sign up for a newsletter there. We'll keep you informed about what's going on, let you know of new struggles and things. Uh, Potato was just approved. Uh, developed by J.R. Simplot, rejected the next week by McDonald's. We don't know if Burger King's going to pick it up, but we'd like to be able to get a signature on a petition to inform them that you're not going to be eating their French fries again. Well, you probably don't eat their French fries anyway, but you know what I mean. So we have opportunities for people to participate in activism to get alert. We have a speaker training program. We've taught 1,200 people how to speak about GMOs. It's an eight-hour, seven-hour, eight-hour online course. We have scripted PowerPoints. We have also a tipping point network of close to 10,000 activists in over 100 groups in North America. We have lots of online resources, videos, etc. And so we are doing the work of creating the behavior change messaging so that people want to avoid eating GMOs so that the, the dynamics in the marketplace change so that we don't have to try and win it in Washington where Monsanto rules supreme. And we don't have to try and win it in state labeling bills, which can be immediately at any time preempted by the FDA, which they did with menu labeling in the past and then did nothing. We're doing it where we have our strength, where we have stability. Uh, politics is not so stable. I've been, I was flown to Poland by the Polish government to give a press conference with their minister of environment on their non-GMO policy. And the next week, the government was voted out of office. And uh, similar has happened in other, in other countries where I work, where a week later after a successful campaign, it was a new government. So we're not asking the Obama administration for a handout. We're doing it ourselves by educating people about the dangers, telling them how to avoid GMOs, putting economic pressure in the marketplace where companies who are paying attention are going to make changes and already have. ResponsibleTechnology.org is where you go to support all of that work. Now, Jeff, there's one more question, one that I've asked every guest on the show, and uh, one you can riff on um, because you've, you've talked about this sort of thing before, but top three most important things people can do if they want to perform better. And I'm just guessing that avoiding Roundup and GMOs is on your list. So, like, All right. besides so <laughs> well, I'm going to expand what we've talked about in that Roundup is now being used as a ripening agent on many types of crops, wheat, barley, lentils, rice, potatoes, sweet potatoes, citrus. And because of that, it's sprayed right before harvest and then it, then it accumulates in the food portion as the other plant part of the plant dies and we eat it. So the EPA last summer increased the allowable levels of Roundup residues on 160 varieties of crops to levels that are as much as a million times higher than that which is associated with multiplying breast cancer cells in human cells. So I would say buying organic is now a higher priority than it used to be. So it's not just avoiding GMOs, but switching to organic is pretty critical. And then um, I've hear, heard from a lot of people when they actually can eat food that looks like food that's not packaged and whatnot, they get better from a variety of things as part of their regime of changing their diet, so organic, reduced processed foods, those two are for the, you know, I know your listeners 
are really committed to health and will do things that others won't do. So I'm going for the heavy stuff, real lifestyle change, not just avoiding GMOs, organic and trying to get, you know, foods cooked from scratch as much as possible. And huh, I would say water is important because a lot of the water is, my expertise is GMOs and Roundup, and unfortunately it's in the water supply too. There was a study done over two years with rats where they were fed Roundup in the water at levels considered way safe in the U.S., like a, a fraction of what's allowed in the U.S. water supply, and the rats compared to the controls had multiple massive tumors, early death, and organ damage. So purified water that will clean up that glyphosate or Roundup out of there. So uh, I know I'm being, I'm just sticking to the, to, to where I, to what I know. Well, there's one other thing. I, I mean, because I, I know you personally, uh, you meditate more than the average person. I, I'm really surprised meditation wasn't on your list. Well, yeah, actually, I do meditate. I practice transcendental meditation, and I love it. I've been doing it for, uh, since 1975. And, you know, people say to me, I don't know how you do it by traveling so much. I traveled, you know, eight months last year and probably more this year. And I say, I don't know, but actually I do know how I do it. I think I take a vacation twice a day with meditation, and uh, there's a lot of research in there. But I don't – you know, it's interesting. The biotech industry, one of the reasons why I'm not in the habit of talking about meditation – the biotech industry spent hundreds of thousands of dollars looking into my past, trying to get everything they could to find a skeleton in my closet to attack me, which is what they do. I mean, we we expose how they do this with others. And they couldn't find anything negative. They found out that I, I like to dance and I meditate. So they tried to use them against me. <laughs> so he's not a scientist. He's a dancer and a meditator and a flake. So so um, well, I just, I just keep that. You're joined by a, a very large number of very successful executives who are, have outed themselves as meditators, uh, which is essentially a high-performance behavior. So I don't think you have to worry about that at all anymore because if they want to attack you for it, all they're saying is that they are not conscious, and actually that would be accurate. So I, I, don't, I don't think that that's something that, that anyone sane could hold against you. Well, that's true, and I don't put those fellas in the category of sanity who <laughs> tried to use it against me. Yeah, thank you. I, I did absolutely keep my personal life completely out of my public life for years until they did their big expose. Do you, you know he's a meditator? He's a dance, and it's like, all right, <laughs> maybe I should maybe I should dance in public again. <laughs> all right, there you go. Thank you so much for being on the show, Jeffrey. ResponsibleTechnology.org is the place to go to support the work to make our food supply safer. And thank you, Dave. You know, Dave, um, I am amazed. I've talked to you about so many things, and you are, you are totally geekified in that you follow things down to real uh, technical levels. And I wasn't expecting you to know as much as you did that we just expressed about glyphosate and its fungal fungal pathogens and aspergillus and all that stuff. I, 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 read, your, such... I read your book, remember? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but you remembered. But it was also you brought other stuff in that I that uh, it's not in the book that was I wrote about since then. Oh well, well <laughs> thank you so much. And, and if you're listening to this, in addition to supporting ResponsibleTechnology.org, uh, I have no affiliation there other than that I'm friends with with Jeffrey and uh, appreciate and admire his work. Uh, the Bulletproof Diet book is coming out right about now. So if you would do me the favor of you know, saying thanks for all these 150 podcasts by checking out the Bulletproof Diet book on Amazon, you can send your receipt 
using the instructions at orderbulletproofdietbook.com, and I'll send you a bunch of free bonuses for it. Uh, so please work to continue the kind of work that you're listening to right now and hearing about real hard science from guys like Jeffrey by uh, supporting the podcast by buying the book and leaving a kind review. I really appreciate it. And don't forget responsibletechnology.org because Jeffrey is a rock star. Thanks, Jeffrey. Thank you, Dave. Did you know that Cyber Monday didn't even exist before 2005? And now it's the ultimate online shopping day of the year, even bigger than Black Friday? It's true. In fact, last year's Cyber Monday was the biggest online shopping and savings day ever. And now this December 1st, I'm upgrading Cyber Monday to help you hack your holiday shopping list by kicking off a special online event with exclusive savings. The savings continue on December 2nd, when in celebration of the Bulletproof Diet book launch, we're kicking off a 12 days of Bulletproof. That means you'll get great 24-hour savings on a different product in the Bulletproof online store every single day from December 2nd through December 13th. And in the spirit of giving, you can even save 25% more on top of the daily discounts and cross up to 12 names off your gift list all at once by getting the entire bundle of products with just one click of your mouse. If you haven't already, just make sure you sign up for email updates at Bulletproof.com or like Bulletproof on Facebook to make sure you get all the details. Then just mark your calendar to watch your email inbox and the Facebook page starting December 2nd for your invitations to each of the 12 days of Bulletproof. Thanks for listening, and I'm excited to help you give the gift of Bulletproof this holiday season. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.